Well, once again, we are turning to the book of Proverbs this morning. We're going to begin in chapter 11, uh, if you want to go ahead and get a head start there. Uh, Proverbs, as we've said, is a book of ancient wisdom for everyday life. Uh, If the devil cannot get you to be immoral or sinful, he'll settle for getting you to be stupid. Uh, Because by making foolish choices in your life, you will not be an effective force in the world for the kingdom of God. And so Satan, of course, ideally wants us to fall into sin, uh, to live wicked lives. But if he can't get us to sin, second best in his mind is for us to be foolish, wasting our life, wasting our time, wasting life's opportunities. And as Christians, we should desire not only to do what is just and right in the eyes of our Lord, but also to be wise in our day-to-day living uh, so that we can be as fruitful and productive for the kingdom of Christ as possible. Today, we're going to talk about relationships. Uh, We're going to start off kind of broadly speaking about how we are to relate in society, uh, in a community at large. Uh, Then we'll narrow in to talk more about relations with neighbors Uh, So these are like literal neighbors, like people on your street, people in your apartment building. And last, we'll zoom in further to talk about family relationships. Uh, It being Father's Day seemed like an appropriate place to end uh, talking about parents and children and how they are to relate to one another. First of all, how are we to relate to others on a broad societal level? Now, there's many passages in Proverbs about this. We're going to just look at one for this morning, Proverbs 11 verses 10 and 11, which says, When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. The influence of your character, whether good or bad, extends far beyond just yourself. According to these Proverbs, righteous people are a blessing to, to the community in which they live, whereas wicked people are a burden on that community. Upright people bless a city. They contribute to the well-being and prosperity of their community. Uh, evil people, on the other hand, tear down the community in which they live. And so the question for each of us to ask ourselves is, how, which one are we? How are we doing here? Are we exalting our community, our city, or are we contributing to its downfall? How is the city of Gary or whatever city you happen to live in <clears throat> benefited because of your presence? Uh, if you want to sit, talk more broadly speaking, how is the country uh, better or worse because of you? Are you contributing in some way to the flourishing of society or are you just thinking about yourself and what you can get? Uh, We'll see this more as we go throughout the book of Proverbs, but righteous people seek to bless the community in which they live, whereas unrighteous people want everybody around them to bless them. Righteous people inconvenience themselves for the sake of benefiting others around them. Wicked and selfish people inconvenience everybody around them for the sake of their own benefit. In other words, wicked people, according to Proverbs, think that the community is all about them. The city exists for my benefits. These are are people who expect uh, the government, for example, to provide everything for them while they're contributing nothing. Righteous people are not a burden to a city. They bless a city. They contribute to the flourishing of the community in which they live. Now, there's many ways in which we could talk about this uh, as far as practical ways this gets worked out. Uh, For example, little things. Think of littering. 
Uh, are you helping to make your community cleaner? Or are you the type of person that drives your car uh, after a fast food meal and just throws your garbage out onto the streets? Now, that's a relatively small issue, and yet it says a lot about your character. Uh, it says a lot if you're the type of person that expects others to just clean up after you and fix your problems, rather than helping, uh, seeing yourself as a servant to those around you, helping the community. Uh, we could consider more serious issues like law-keeping. Are you a law-abiding citizen, or are you one who breaks laws? Uh, this has an effect, again, not just on the person you may be committing the crime against, but also on the society and the community at large. Another area to consider would be economics. Uh, do you work a job and pay taxes? Are you contributing to the economy, or are you living off of the profits of other people's work? Now, of course, there's times, let's make the exception, of course, there's times when someone is physically disabled and uh, unable to work. We understand that. Uh, but a lot of people, and I dare say, especially in the city of Gary, are not in that situation at all. They live off of the government programs because they simply don't want to work. Uh, they don't want to contribute to the society. They would rather be a burden than a blessing. Uh, here's another way to think about this, just broadly speaking. What if everyone in your city lived like you? Uh, what if everybody did what you do? How would things be? How would the society function if every citizen did what you do in your day-to-day -day life? Righteous people exalt a city. They have a positive impact on their community. We're going to talk about this more when we get into the uh, subject of work. But when we think about choosing an occupation, this, this should also be a factor. Uh, not just how much are they going to pay me and what kind of benefits do they have and what are the hours... But as Christians, we ought to think more foundationally. Will the work that I do for my employer benefit the community, or will it bring harm? Now, this ought to be a factor in our decision-making. Righteous people seek to contribute to the community's flourishing. They are a blessing to the city in which they live. So that's what Proverbs says about citizens of a city or of a community. Let's zoom in a little bit further now to talk about how we relate to neighbors, what does it look like to have a good and God-honoring relationship with people who live right next to you? Uh, number one, <clears throat> don't be an annoying neighbor. Now, this might seem really silly to mention, uh, but it actually pops up several times in Proverbs. Uh, it's not biblical to be annoying to people who live near you. Here are some examples of this. First, Proverbs 25, verse 17. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. So the first principle there, give space to your neighbors. Uh, obviously, you can and should be friendly, but don't constantly invade their privacy and just invite yourself over, even if you are good friends with them. Uh, figure out social signals. If somebody is uh, slowly taking steps away from you, that means they don't want to talk to you right now. Uh, try to pick up on these things. I've watched... Uh, conversations before where one person just totally did not get the social cues. And uh, I, I'm thinking of one in particular where a guy was talking to a lady and they were talking for a while and she just obviously did not want to continue the conversation. And she would take a step away from him and he would take a step towards her. And they ended up walking like 30 feet as they're just, just not picking up at all on the fact that she was uh, being annoyed by him. And so try to pay attention to those things. Don't be the type of neighbor who's constantly invading the privacy of those around you. Uh, second, Proverbs 27, verse 14, under this heading of don't be annoying to your neighbors. 
Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Uh, Can I modernize this proverb for us? Don't play your music or blast your fireworks or run your lawnmower at inconsiderate times of day. That's not exactly what Proverbs 27.14 says, but it's the same idea. Don't be obnoxious. Uh, Be considerate of your neighbors. And that's really the overall point here. Christians ought to be considerate neighbors. People should like living next to you. Uh, They shouldn't be constantly annoyed by your behavior. Number two, be a helpful neighbor. Proverbs 3, verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in in your power to do it. Uh, I'm not going to go into the whole situation, but this, this verse this week Uh, absolutely clobbered me. Somebody texted me and asked me to do them a favor, and I just didn't want to do it. And I was having a bad attitude about it. I was thinking in my head uh, how I was going to respond. Am I going to, you know, because this is somebody who's who's asked me repeatedly to do these types of favors, and I was just not having a good good attitude. And so I uh, laid down. I didn't respond to the text at first. I opened up my Proverbs uh, devotional that I've been working through at night, and right on the page was this verse, do not withhold good, from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. And so I closed it and I said, oh, shoot, I'm going to have to text him back and do this. Uh, anyways, verse 28, it says, Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. So back in verse 27 there, you see the word good. It's sort of left unspecified, so it can refer to any number of things. Uh, it could be money that you're uh, allowing someone to borrow. It could be a tool that your neighbor needs. Uh, could be some kind of expertise that you have. And you notice there in verse 27, there are two conditions to, to providing this sort of help to your neighbors. First, it says, when it is in your power to do it. Uh, sometimes you really can't reasonably afford to do whatever they're asking you to do. Uh, and so, you, you know, that's okay. It's not saying you always have to say yes to everything that your neighbors ask. Uh, but you should be willing to help if you can. Uh, and then secondly, you have the, the next condition, It says there, not to withhold good from those to whom it is due. So don't take this to an extreme uh, to say that basically you have to let your neighbors constantly mooch off of you. If they ask you something, you know, the Bible says you have to do it. Uh, No, Proverbs gives us a little bit of room there uh, to to give this to those to whom it is due. Uh, But if you have a good neighbor who hasn't been a problem to you in the past, maybe he's in a rough patch right now, he needs some help. Uh, He asks to borrow something, asks for something. Uh, Proverbs tells us, be willing to help. Again, as we said last, uh, I'm sorry, as we said before, righteous people are attentive to the needs of their community, and they seek to bless and benefit those around them. And that starts with your neighbors. It starts on your street. It starts in your apartment building. Uh, The people right near you. You ought to be attentive to their needs and seek to help them in any way that you can. Uh, And then verse 28 also encourages us not to delay the help that we can offer to our neighbors. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Uh, Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Uh, This sort of delayed help is usually a way to just try and get out of it, right? You're hoping that they just forget about it and don't bring it up again. Uh, Proverbs says, don't be begrudging in your help of others. Rather, be eager. Uh, We ought to be looking for ways to help and benefit people who live near us. Number three, be a trustworthy neighbor. Verse 29, do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Uh, Your neighbors should grow to trust you over time. You should prove yourself to be trustworthy in in whatever ways you can. 
And if they do come to trust you, don't ever do anything that would violate that trust. Don't do things that would cause uh, suspicion. Now, just to balance this, the need to be generous, to help the neighbor who is in need, uh, Proverbs 17, 18 says, one who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. So here we're being given a warning against foolishly pledging security for your neighbor's loans. Uh, So here's an example of a favor that they might ask you to do that really goes too far, and it would be very unwise for you to grant it in that that way. So that's kind of a balancing uh, principle there. Okay, last one with regards to neighbors. Number four, be a good example to your neighbors. Proverbs 12, 26, one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. As Christians, this is especially important. Everyone who lives near a Christian ought to see a model citizen, a model neighbor in that home. You ought to be positively influencing those who live around you. Your neighbors shouldn't see you coming home drunk. Uh, They shouldn't hear yelling from within your house. They shouldn't see the police called for domestic disturbances. We ought to be setting a positive example for those who live around us. Uh, This is one thing my mother used to remind us of all the time. As I was a kid growing up, I had a brother that was uh, two years older than me, and so, like brothers do, we used to fight. And uh, she would always tell us, you need to be attentive to the way you behave outside of the home. The neighbors know we're Christians. They see us go to church every Sunday, and uh, you need to be, you know, thinking about that. Uh, When you're having a yelling match back and forth, you are tainting the name of Christ uh, in front of your neighbors. And so be a good example to those who live near you. Okay, so that's how we relate to our communities. That's how we relate to our neighbors. Now let's zoom in a little bit further to talk about family relations. What does Proverbs say about our relationships within the home? First, Proverbs 27.8. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. So the home should be a place of safety, a place of comfort, a place of security. When a bird leaves its nest, it becomes more vulnerable. Uh, Whatever is going on out in the world, whatever stresses may be on you, home should be a place of safety, a place of peace. Uh, Some of you may know the name Tim Keller. He just passed away a couple of weeks ago, a pastor in New York City, wrote many books. Uh, I was listening to a sermon of his years ago in which he said something that I'll never forget. He said, when things are right at home, you go out into the world in a position of strength. When things are not right at home, you go out into the world in weakness. And I found that to be so incredibly true. Uh, When things are good at home, you can handle a lot more frustration, a lot more stress in the workplace or whatever else is going on out in the world. But if things are bad at home, it makes everything else in life harder because home is supposed to be a refuge, a place of calm, a place of safety, a place of peace. Proverbs 11 verse 29, whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind and the fool will be servant to the wise. Uh, This proverb tells us that fighting against your own family is going to negatively affect you. It would be like a bird ripping apart its own nest. Uh, So whatever you do in all of your relationships, strive to keep things good at home. Proverbs 19.13, A foolish son is ruin to his father, and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. So sometimes it's the children that cause issues in the home. A foolish or unruly son can cause incredible stress on the whole family. 
Or sometimes it's the adults causing the issues at home. And here's the example of a quarrelsome wife, which is compared to a leaky roof where the water just uh, drips through continually. It's annoying and persistent. That's kind of the idea there. So no matter who you are in the family, no matter what your role is, a child or an adult, a parent or a spouse, all of us ought to seek to, ought to strive for peace among our family. If the home is a place of conflict, you no longer have anywhere to go for rest because that's what the home is supposed to be, a place of peace, a place of rest. And all of us should strive to make it so in our homes. So that's kind of the general principle for family relations. But since it's Father's Day, let's look a little more specifically. Uh, what does Proverbs say about the parent-child relationship? And it says a lot. Uh, there are tons of instructions in the book of Proverbs, both to parents and to children about how we are to relate to one another. First, here are some instructions to parents. Proverbs 22, verse 6, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. In other words, parents actually parent your children. It's your job as a parent to train up your child in the way he should go. Now, that used to be a very non-controversial statement that everybody understood, uh, but since we are living in clown world, our bizarre culture today uh, tells parents, basically, you're not supposed to parent your child. Uh, whatever your child wants to do, whatever they say, you should affirm, uh, no correction, no discipline, no telling your child that they are wrong. Uh, that kind of mindset is the exact opposite of the wisdom that Proverbs provides for parents. Over and over, Proverbs tells parents, to take the responsibility to correct, to instruct, and to discipline your children. Uh, the kids don't decide what's good and bad. The kids don't decide what's true for them and what isn't. That's the parent's job. Uh, parents have been given the responsibility under God to raise children in the right path. It's also worth mentioning here in Proverbs 22, this is a proverb, remember, not a promise. Uh, generally speaking, it is true. If you raise your children correctly in the fear and admonition of the Lord, they will continue on that right path. But, of course, there are exceptions. Uh, sometimes children are raised well, and they still choose a life of folly and sin. But those are exceptions to the general rule laid out here. So then, what does this training look like? How do you, as a parent, train up a child in the way he should go? Proverbs twenty nine fifteen: The rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So here's the parent's job. Discipline and teach. The rod and reproof. An undisciplined child will bring shame to his mother. And of course, uh, these types of verses in Proverbs bring up all sorts of questions about spanking. Uh, what kinds of parameters need to be set there to avoid abuse? And there's a lot that could be said. Here are just a few thoughts uh, briefly on this. First, for almost all of human history, it's been very normal and, ex and, and expected that uh, parents would spank children as a form of discipline. In fact, it wasn't all that long ago. Some of you in this room perhaps could tell stories uh, when you were in school and you used to be spanked in the classroom. Uh, that took place not that long ago here in our country. Our culture has radically shifted over the last 50 years and has convinced most people today that spanking a child is abusive and that it teaches them uh, to be abusive and violent towards others. Uh, frankly, I think that's nonsense. Uh, this coming from somebody, by the way, I was a child. I was a very bad child growing up. I was, and this is not an exaggeration, I was spanked every day of my life for years. I was a very rebellious, 
uh, mischievous and just bad kid. And I stand, stand before you today profoundly thankful that my parents obeyed the instruction of Proverbs and consistently disciplined me. Uh, sometimes that discipline was a, a punishment of some kind, you know, no television for a week or go clean the bathroom or whatever. But often it was a physical whipping. And again, I am thankful now for the strict discipline that I received. Often my parents told me that they were disciplining me because they loved me. Uh, they showed me these verses in Proverbs. They tried to be very careful not to go overboard uh, with discipline. Uh, my dad, when he was especially upset, he used to make me go to his room and wait for him, and then he would come in to spank me. And I used to think this was just a part of the punishment, was the anticipation of what was coming. But looking back, I think uh, a lot of times it was really for my dad's sake, so that he could calm down, uh, make sure he was in control and was not disciplining while angry. For what it's worth, this whole notion that spanking a child uh, teaches them to be abusive to people uh, simply has not worked out that way for me uh, or for any of my siblings. Again, all of us were raised in a very strict home. We were disciplined. We were spanked. And uh, none of us are abusive or violent people whatsoever. In fact, all of us are quite thankful for the discipline our parents gave us. And if I had kids, I would discipline them very similarly to the way that I was growing up. Unless you think that this notion of uh, parents disciplining children is only found in this one verse in Proverbs, uh, here are five others. Proverbs 29, 17. Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Again, Proverbs 22, 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Your child has folly in their heart. We're all born simple, and we have a natural proclivity towards foolishness. And so parents are there to guide us in the right direction through teaching and discipline. Proverbs 23, 13, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. Uh, he'll be okay. <laughs> in fact, he'll be better for it. Uh, verse 14 continues, if you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. You see there the joy that a parent can experience as their child grows up to be wise and righteous. Nothing brings more joy to a parent than seeing their child grow and mature to be a good and wise adult. And Proverbs says repeatedly, if you want that for your child, discipline them. An undisciplined child will bring nothing but pain to you later. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Your child may feel like you're hating them in the moment of discipline. No child likes discipline in the moment, of course. Uh, I certainly did not. But years later, they may stand like I am today and publicly say how thankful they are for parents who discipline them. And so even though it's hard in the moment, it is an expression of love. It's doing what's best for your child, even though they don't understand it now. Uh, one more, Proverbs 19:18. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Now, that last phrase is a little difficult to translate. There's some speculation as to what it means. But overall, the point of this proverb here is not to give up in disciplining your child. Be consistent with discipline, even if it doesn't seem to be working. Again, my parents could tell you stories about me for years uh, disciplining me, and uh, no doubt there were times where there was very little progress and they seemed discouraged and hopeless. And that seems to be the point of this proverb. 
It may seem like your child is just destined to turn out foolish or sinful. Don't give up on them. Love them enough to consistently discipline. One last instruction to parents, make sure that you're not just telling your child how to live and disciplining them as they veer from that path, but also make sure that you have their heart and that you set a good example in your own life for them. Proverbs 23, 26, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. One of the most important aspects of parenting is gaining the heart of your child and then setting before them a good example in your own life. Uh, Influence over children is precious, and so work to gain that influence so that the task of training and disciplining will be met with less resistance. And at the end of that verse, you see the importance of setting a good example for your children, making sure that your life aligns with what you're teaching them. Uh, Especially as children become teenagers, they're very quick uh, to spot any sort of hypocrisy in their parents. And sometimes, if we're honest, they have a point. And so work to model wise and godly living before your kids. Okay, now let's look at some instructions to children. We're going to start off with young kids, and then we'll move to adult children and talk about how all of us, regardless of our age, uh, even if your parents are not alive anymore, how we ought to relate to our parents. Uh, First, here's one of my favorite Proverbs for kids, uh, Proverbs 30, verse 17. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by vultures. Simple, clear, to the point. (laughs) Now, it's interesting here that this proverb addresses inward rebellion of the heart and not any sort of outward actions or words. It is the eye that mocks and scorns to obey the parents that is condemned. Uh, This is getting to the root of the problem, the rebellion within a child's heart. Children are taught here to embrace the authority of their parents and not to rebel against it. Defiance in the heart of a child will lead to a tragic and dishonorable end. Uh, Next instruction for how we are to relate to our parents comes from Proverbs 4. And in these verses, I think all of us can find some wisdom. Proverbs 4, beginning with verse 1. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. So if you've been trained in the way that you should go by good and godly parents, don't depart from it. Fight your natural inclination to rebel against them. A lot of, especially young adults, have this tendency, especially in their late teens, early 20s. Uh, They want to just abandon everything that their parents taught them. They want to reject it all. Well, here's the thing. Your parents were wrong about some things because they're human. That doesn't mean they were wrong about everything. And it's really just a sign of immaturity when a child wants to rebel against everything and totally reject the entire worldview and way of life that their parents passed down to them. Uh, Of course, there may be exceptions. If Hitler's your dad, yeah, you should pretty much ignore everything that he taught you. But in general, if you had decent parents, Proverbs is telling us, hold fast to the many good and true things that they taught you. Even if you may disagree with some things, even if you may see areas of hypocrisy in their life, receive the good and true and wise things that they've given to you. Embrace those. 
In verse 8 of the first chapter of Proverbs, we read, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Again, Proverbs 23, 22, Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Uh, now, let me hasten to say I recognize not all of us have wise parents. Most of us do. Most of us should listen and learn from the many things that our parents taught us that were right. But there are exceptions. And in a minute, we'll get to some practical applications for how all of us can best honor our parents, regardless of whether they were uh, good examples, godly parents who trained you in the way you should go, or if they were foolish or even absent parents who failed you in some ways. We are still given the command of God to honor our parents. doesn't give an exception there for who your parents were, what kind of parents they were. Uh, one of our Ten Commandments is honor your parents. One way to honor your parents is to be a wise adult yourself. Learn everything you can from them, including from their mistakes, and then try to make wise choices that honor God and honor them. A wise son or daughter brings joy to their parents. And nothing that I've ever seen brings heaviness in the heart of a parent than watching their adult child live a foolish lifestyle. We have many examples of that even in our church, where parents are uh, grieved over the decisions that adult children are making. Your aim should be to be the kind of son or daughter who brings joy and honor to your parents by the way that you live. Uh, Proverbs 17, verse 21, He who sires a fool gets himself sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. Uh, verse 25, a foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. Proverbs 15, 20, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Proverbs 27, 11, be wise, my son, and make my heart glad that I may answer him who reproaches me. Proverbs 10, 1, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. And then again, Proverbs 23, 24, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. I think Proverbs is trying to make a point here. Uh, one of the primary ways we honor our parents is living in such a way that makes them proud. Living in a wise manner that brings honor and joy to them. Proverbs condemns in the strongest possible terms those who would intentionally dishonor or disrespect their parents. For example, Proverbs 20, verse 20, If one curses his father or mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. Proverbs 28, 24, Whoever robs his father or mother and says, That is no transgression, is a companion to a man who destroys. And then Proverbs 19, 26, He who does violence to his father and chases away his mother is a son who brings shame and reproach. So the point is clear. All of us have a res responsibility to treat our parents with honor, uh, even as adults, when you're no longer uh, in their home and under the obligation to obey or continue in everything that they've taught you, you are still to honor them and to treat them with respect. So here are four ways to do that. I think all of these will be applicable to uh, pretty much all of us, regardless of who your parents were or how they raised you. Number one, be as respectful as possible in their presence. Uh, look for the cultural symbols of respect, things like the seat at the head of the table, 
whatever it may be. A lot of it will depend on your context, but whatever those symbols are, try to respect your parents in those ways. Be as respectful as possible in their presence. Number two, recognize the things that they did well. Acknowledge the good traits in yourself that you got from them. Uh, Yes, they mishandled some situations when you were growing up. Uh, Yes, they were wrong about some things. But if you ever have kids, you'll find out that you're going to mishandle some situations and you're going to be wrong about some things. So give some grace and don't become distorted in how you view your parents. This is, again, something I think a lot of people, uh, frankly, in my age bracket, have a problem with, uh, where all of the negatives about their parents are exaggerated and all of the positives are, are minimized. It's like they're not even there. Proverbs calls us to recognize and learn from our parents' wisdom in whatever areas of life they taught us wise principles. So recognize the things that they did well. Number three, allow your parents to change and grow with time. Forgive them for the ways they wronged you in the past. In most cases, if you're still mad at them, you're still being a child. Don't confine your parents to a box and think, They're always going to be the way that they were in the past. People change. And uh, especially with kids, we ought to be gracious with our parents as they themselves are on a journey, hopefully, of growth, especially if they're Christians. Uh, We ought to give space to them. We ought to give grace and allow them to change and grow with time. And then number four, speak about them positively often and negatively rarely, if ever. Speak about them positively often and negatively Rarely, if ever. Um, I think this is especially true when you're speaking publicly. Uh, You've never heard me criticize my parents in a sermon. Uh, If you've been here for a while, you have heard me say positive things about them, and that's intentional. Now, if you had parents who were just bad parents all around or maybe absent, they weren't even there. Some of you may not even know uh, either your dad or your mom. Uh, You may not really have anything positive to say about them. And if you truly have nothing positive to say, It's best not to say much of anything. Even if they weren't the best parents, you still have an obligation to honor them. And I think that's an important reminder for us this Father's Day. Speak positively about them often and negatively, rarely, if ever. All right, let's summarize what we've looked at today. What does Proverbs teach us about relationships? Uh, First of all, we see the instruction of Proverbs about how we are to relate to our community. And as always, we're presented with these two paths in Proverbs, the path of the fool and the path of the wise. Proverbs says that the way of a fool in his community or in his city is to be a burden, to be a burden on the city. Fools are self-centered. They want others in the community to benefit them. In contrast to the fool, you have the wise person, and they contribute to the flourishing of the community in which they live. They look around them and see, what can I do? How can I be a beneficial person in this city? How can I contribute? How can I bless and exalt the city in which I live? Then we looked at how we are to relate to neighbors. And Proverbs says that a wise person is a considerate neighbor, is a helpful neighbor, a trustworthy neighbor, and is a good example. He's an exemplary neighbor. Whereas the way of the fool again, is to be self-centered, not thinking about how his actions may annoy or inconvenience those who live around him. The way of the fool is also to avoid or delay helping his neighbors, 
He has the opportunity, he has the means to help, and he chooses not to. And then thirdly, the way of the fool is to take advantage or to bring harm to his neighbor. And then lastly, the way of the fool is to be a bad example, leading neighbors to follow in his foolish ways. And then we looked at the relationships within the family, zooming in even further here. What does Proverbs say about our family relations? Number one, wise people seek to keep peace in the home, whereas fools argue and bicker with family members. That's kind of the overall principle. Uh, Home is supposed to be a place of rest, a, a place of peace, a place of security, and we either contribute to that peace or we fight against it. Wise parents, then, Proverbs says to parents that wise parents will train their children in the way they should go, and they will teach them and discipline them, whereas foolish parents leave a child to go his own way and spare the rod of discipline. Wise children, the instructions to children, number one, respect the authority of the parents in the home, and then honor them throughout your life. So even after you're out of the home, you're an adult, you're on your own, you still have the obligation to honor your parents throughout the rest of your life. Foolish children mock and rebel against their parents, and then they disrespect them, and they abandon the wisdom that they taught. Well, as we've seen already in our study of Proverbs, Jesus, once again, is the ultimate example of a wise and God-honoring life. Jesus had the greatest positive impact on any society that is possible. If we're talking about Uh, impacting our community, benefiting a city. Of course, nobody did that more than Jesus. Not only in his life in which he fed the hungry and healed the sick and even raised the dead, but in his death in the place of sinners, which provides salvation for all who turn to him. Now, of course, we can't emulate all that Christ did there, but we can see how he related to people around him and learn from his example. Uh, How might we in whatever ways we can, demonstrate the love of Christ to others? How can we bless our community and bring positive benefit to our neighbors? Then we also look to Christ and the example that he left for us as a son, Uh, not only the son of the Father in the Trinity, whom he always obeyed and pleased, but also as a human son with earthly parents. Uh, Think of the humility that Christ displayed in God becoming a man and submitting himself to an earthly mother and father. In Luke 2, we see Jesus submitting to the authority of Joseph and Mary over him. Throughout his life, we see how he tenderly treated his mother, even caring for her in his death. Jesus honored both his heavenly father and his earthly human parents as well. And so once again, we look to Christ as our example of wisdom. And now it's time for each of us to ponder the path of our feet. Which way are you walking down in your relationships? The way of wisdom that leads to blessing and benefit to those around you? Or the way of the fool that leads to shame and conflict? Wisdom is crying out to us today to listen and to learn, and now each of us have the choice to make. Will we scoff at the instruction of Proverbs as it teaches us how to be wise in our relationships, or will we choose to follow the path of wisdom? Let's pray together.